Welcome to the Getting Started Podcast. Join me and my guests as we take a look at how businesses are built and ideas brought to life to help you get over those hurdles that stop you getting started. And I'm your host, Claire Durren, online consultant, business owner, and serial dreamer. So I'm really looking forward to sharing today's podcast with you. It's with my good friend, Katie, and Katie works and creates from Suffolk in the UK. She lives with her husband, daughter, and two wily cats. Since 2007, she's created her own work in the publishing and communications world, including being part of the communications team for some major UK conservation charities. In 2020, Katie stepped out and founded an ethical branding, publishing and communications agency, Fable Creative. Katie and Fable Creative work with brands to redefine what good business means. She's also the editor-in-chief for a human nature and lifestyle magazine, Fen and Field. So this is going to be a really inspiring and creative conversations. We're going to be talking about how you can harness your creativity and pivot that to build a business. We're going to talk about how to run a sustainable business and also a little bit about how you wing it because we all do a little bit of that here and there. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hi, Katie. Thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Hi, Claire. Thank you for having me. It's super to catch up with you. And I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. And for anyone who hasn't kind of come across you before, love you for just tell us a bit about yourself and your background and about your journey and your career so far. Yeah, it's it's quite a story, really. My career has been really varied, but the guiding light through it all has always been creativity. I'm one of those kind of 99% of writers that always says they started writing when they're like four, you know, telling stories, making stories up. And it's kind of been the thread that's held everything together. So university was literature and creative writing. And then I suppose I always wanted to work in the creative industries, figuring out quite what my place in that was took a little while. And now I've finally got there. So I've just been a straight writer for magazines. I've been an editor. I've been a sub editor. I've worked in communications and now I've kind of brought it all together into just storytelling because I think it all tells a story. Bringing together, you know, so designers, marketers that can really build campaigns that do some good and and mean something. And and it was really nice to kind of have that light bulb moment where my niche suddenly made sense. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that journey. You say you've always been a writer since the age of four. Just can you remember the first thing that you wrote? I can remember really early things I wrote. So being a child of the late 80s, 90s, The Little Mermaid obviously factored in quite a lot. And I had my own mermaid that I wrote stories about. She was called Coral. She could come onto land with legs. She had a little shed on the beach. And I used to write about her quite a lot. And she had a fisherman friend called Sean. Amazing. Those yeah. great names. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's hugely imaginative for a four-year-old. That's, that's great. I can imagine um, one day they make great children's books, Katie. Yeah. If I can find them, I don't. I, I doubt they exist anywhere anymore. <laughs> Amazing! I love hearing about your journey, and I've I've known you for a while and been able to kind of watch from a distance as you've navigated the different parts of your life. And I love how you speak about writing and creativity being that thread that's held it together through being a four year old writing stories to being at university and then eventually kind of being a writer yourself and growing your new agency. Now. Obviously, creativity and running and owning a business, it's quite often viewed as two different worlds. Did you always want to move into being a business owner or an entrepreneur? No, it was kind of a happy accident, really, for me. 
So my path in my head had always been to be a novelist and to be a university lecturer working in like a lit department. And I had my PhD place and I discovered on the same day I had my PhD place confirmed that I was expecting my little one. Oh, wow. So and like I deferred it a couple of times and then it got a bit ridiculous and I thought I need I need to do something else now. I've got a two year old. And I just thought, I'm going to look at what skills I have. And so I started copywriting for people. Discovered I was quite good at product descriptions, even though that's probably my least favorite thing. And so I did that for a long time freelance. And I think you just gradually grow your skills. And we've kind of grown up in the era of social media and its value within advertising has changed. So then I started learning a little bit of graphic design, started learning marketing concepts, and it kind of it grew like that. Quite an organic process then yeah. for you. And when you first started setting up on your own, for maybe first as a freelancer, maybe speak about, were there any challenges in getting into being a freelance copywriter or how did you find kind of breaking in or getting those first clients? Oh, absolutely. Because I didn't really have a clue what I was doing. So I literally, I wrote a letter and I sent it snail mail out to local businesses. And that was how I got my first bites and was doing web copy for local businesses too. I had a small online presence and that's where a lot of the product description work came from. And I ended up kind of specializing in about me pages for a long time. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Any hot tips for an about me page? There's like a pyramid structure, which I can never remember off the top of my head. But if you're writing an about me page, you kind of have to first think in terms of what you're actually offering people and summarize it in a way that kind of you're, you're telling your story, but really you're reeling them in for what you can do for them. Then you go into kind of like the meaty bit, which is kind of your background, your skills, etc. And then you can kind of go more into the fun stuff. Oh, that's really useful. Yeah. I imagine lots of people get stuck on that page. So no wonder people were outsourcing it because yeah. it feels quite cringy writing about yourself sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, so even I don't like doing it. And I've got someone auditing um, our site at the moment because I've done it. And I was like, I know in my head what I mean. But actually, when you're writing about yourself, you need that barrier almost and having a, a second opinion. Yeah, that's really actually good advice to kind of get that second second opinion, even if it's I often get my dad to read things because I'm like, if my dad can understand it or he can find the mistakes, then anyone else can. And and it means that, you know, if we pass the dad test, we, we should be OK. It's always good to do that. And I, I mentioned briefly about creativity and businesses and often can be viewed as quite opposing parts, maybe kind of if you're left brain or your right brain type thinking. Do you agree with that? And do you did you have to navigate a shift from being a creative to having a business? Definitely. Um, I don't think the two are incompatible at all, but I didn't really know anything about business. I think when you first start, it's all about the creativity. Mm-hmm. And you're just thinking, oh, I'm getting to write for a living. And actually, that has to have a purpose and you're serving a purpose for other people. And I think that then switches something in your own brain. And you think, right, I need to actually start learning about some of the boring stuff, financial stuff. Like I had no idea. First time I did a tax return, I'm sat there with about 20 tabs open trying to make sure I get it right. Yeah. So you've got all that practical stuff. I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get taught that at school. That should be like lesson number one. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So I think as an introvert, it was slightly more complicated for me as well. You know, when we think of business, you still kind of get that stereotype of somebody in a suit in an office with a briefcase, really confident, really great at small talk, really just always on the go, full of energy. Everybody knows they know what they're doing, but you have to wing it a little bit. 
and just be really open to learning new things and retraining your brain to not see it as selling out, which I think is probably the biggest thing that creatives have. It's always supposed to be about the love of the art, but we all still need a roof over our heads and food in our bellies. Yeah, absolutely. That's really interesting. I had never really considered it feeling like selling out rather than monetizing, if if you know what I mean. That's really interesting. What was your experience of that? Did you have to battle the feeling of selling out? Definitely. And I think, I mean, my agency work with ethical businesses, so we're coming at it from like the the three pillars of sustainability rather than the the traditional pillars of business. But I think you have to reimagine what money is. It's not the root of all evil. Money itself is not evil. Money is something that we all need. Mm-hmm. And if you can let go of that guilt and that it's okay for somebody to consume what you're giving to them and there be a financial transaction involved is actually okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really hard lesson to learn and something about society that does teach us that money is, oh, we don't talk about that or yeah. you know, don't we don't we don't discuss finances. But actually, you know, if you're giving a good service and you're delivering someone essentially goods, be them creative or physical or digital, you deserve to be paid for your skills and for your time and for that for that product, don't you? Yeah, exactly. And it's so different when you're doing it for yourself, I think, because you are the one setting the rates, you are the one directly receiving that money. There's no barrier of an employer giving it to you, which kind of you you can quantify that in your brain that you've worked set hours mm-hmm. and received that. So, but I mean, I think it's something everybody finally comes to terms with. You realize that you do need to pay the rent. Yeah, yeah. If you need the money, you figure out how, how to get it, don't you? Yeah. And when you decided to take the shift from being a freelance copywriter, to understanding that you know you want to have an agency or you've acquired the skills and and the network around you to start your own agency what challenges were there in that because that's quite a big step isn't it to to kind of go from a one one man band type role to having an agency and a team yeah so for me I'd freelanced and then I went to work and be employed for a couple of years and within that it was an in-house communications team Mm -hmm. And that really, my experience went from kind of like 50% to 100% in terms of collaborating with other people. And I guess for me, I've not got traditional agency experience, but I'm trying to frame it in a way that makes sense to me and works for the clients that we work with. And I don't think there's anything wrong with, with shaking things up a little bit. You know, obviously there's set expectations, but I'm really trying to kind of be quite modern in our approach to working. But in terms of setting up, I suppose it was a bit of a whim. I was like, I'm going to do this as a limited company this time. And that was almost a mindset thing as well for me. Like, I'm going to make this really legitimate and really look at the fundamentals from the ground up. Mm-hmm. And I did a couple of business courses, like online courses and workshops. And what was really comforting with that, and I would recommend people do it. So if their local area has like a business network that offer for startups, like courses and things, to do one, because I realized I did know a lot of it mm-hmm. and I thought I didn't. And I was like, oh, actually, I know what I'm doing here. Yeah, that's so valuable, isn't it? Like, actually, sometimes you can take a course and sometimes not learning something new is almost as much value as learning something new because you're like, oh, I do actually know more than I've given myself credit for. And it gives you that confidence, I guess, to keep pursuing the direction that you're going. Yeah, because it's like somebody's affirming your knowledge and your skill set and you're like oh I'm, I'm not completely like at the bottom of the pile here mm-hmm. I've, I've got a good good place to come at this all from yeah I had a similar experience recently where I did a training course on 
or experience somebody else training in, in something that I deliver the same training on and listening to her speak and being like, oh yeah, I train all that. I talk about the same things. And it's just so, so affirming to be like, oh, okay, yeah, I do. I do know what I'm talking about. And it gives you that confidence boost sometimes, which is, you know, we all need. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Awesome. And I think I'm really interesting to hear about your approaching it in a different way. And you spoke about the three pillars of sustainability. Would you mind just briefly just telling us about the agency and why sustainability is kind of at the centre of what you're doing and how you're doing it differently? Yeah. So, I mean, I've been interested in conservation and the environment for as long as I can really remember. And then when I was in an in-house comms team, it was actually for a conservation charity. I've never felt comfortable with the selling side of things, which sounds ridiculous for a marketer, but it's because I don't like being very obviously sold to. I would rather people be upfront, transparent. You know, I'm, I'm trying to get your money from you. And then I realised actually, one, it's not bad to ask people for money, which I learned in, a, you know, in the context of a charity, because the charity can't function without donations. We all know what's going on in the world. We all watch Sir David on the telly. We hear his speeches. We see governments making promises, breaking promises. But we're at a point that we can't deny the fact we have caused things to change much more rapidly than they should have done. And when you look at sustainable business, people generally kind of think of boho lifestyle being zero waste, etc. But there's no reason all businesses can't be sustainable. And to me, it's the only way that makes sense for businesses to survive from now on. And I would really encourage existing businesses to also look at their practices. The three pillars are about profit because all businesses need profit and, you know, humans need things. And it's not bad for us to want things either. Like that's not the problem. You know, we all like luxuries. The second pillar is people. So it's looking at all the levels in the supply chain from the people that I work with on my team Mm. to the way that diversity might exist in the workplaces of the people that we're working with. And just factoring that in to the whole issue of sustainability. Pillar three, and then sustainability, which is planet. And we're part of that. And sustainability is actually a really affordable way for businesses to run because it's about being efficient Mm. in the way that you do it. And I think people get really frightened. And I really want us to debunk that and just say, look, you can just do things this way. You can be more transparent in your communications and your customers aren't going to go anywhere because they trust you. Yeah, I love that. And I love the three pillars because it expands your thinking into really practical parts of a business that even as a freelancer, you could apply to what you're doing and your transactions and who you work with and what you look for in partnerships. It's more than just putting a recycling bin next to the printer at work. You know, that's not necessarily that is sustainability and that's, you know, helping, but it's not the end of it. It's not that's not the end of it. It's much deeper and richer than that, isn't it? Yeah, completely. I mean, taking that example with printing, one, you limit how much you print, you can look at where you're sourcing your paper from, you know, whether that paper is offset in the beginning, ink is a slightly more dubious situation, but there's all sorts of steps that don't actually take that much effort Mm. just to do better. Yeah, that's really awesome. Really like simple things that we can all do. Circling back to the two-minded thing of being a creative and a business owner, if somebody's listening to this and they're like, oh, I'm a writer, I'm a, I'm a designer, you know, I, I'm kind of doing the freelance thing, but I don't know how I would go about running my own business. What advice would you pass on? If they're already freelancing, they already are running a business, firstly, whether they know it or not. I would say don't put too much pressure on yourself. Identify your pain points. I mean, there's so many free resources or very affordable resources out there to learn different steps. 
like there's Udemy isn't there there's HubSpot just to really get to grips with those things and I think with creators perhaps more than any other industry you have the dreaded imposter syndrome but you're already doing it I mean and I know I suffer from it I'm like every time I write a pitch still you have that moment of they're not going to want this but then they do say yes sometimes and that's all you need is the sometimes yeah I love that and thank you for you know, being so transparent about imposter syndrome. It's something that we've spoken about on this podcast before in a previous episode. And it's something that I'm constantly speaking to people that I admire, like yourself, who, you know, are running an agency and be like, oh my goodness, you, you experienced that too. And it's so familiar to people. And we don't really realize how many other people are are struggling with the same thing. So thank you for being so honest. Yeah, no, that's okay. Everybody has self-doubt. That's part of being human. And I think if you can frame your business as separate to you, but obviously also it becomes a huge defining part of who you are. So if you feel like it's not going well, you're going to internalize that. But there's a million reasons why it might not be working at the moment. I mean, we launched in a pandemic. You did the same thing, didn't you? Like it's it's not been easy. No, no. It's it's some people would be like, Oh my goodness, why would you launch a business in a pandemic? But I think I looked at it as why I, I can't afford not to or why wouldn't you you know take, yeah, take exactly. the opportunity and it's how, how you look at things and how you you kind of have to come to a point where you tell the self-doubt no and do it anyway and just yeah. put your uh, what do I what's the phrase that a friend of mine uses it's like put your big girl pants on yeah and do it anyway which is um it's scary but but we get there yeah would you say that other creatives maybe that you that you work with who own businesses and you're thinking about your own experience do you think you as a creative you approach the way you do business in a different way that's really individual I mean I know I do definitely I I just make it up as I go along for what I think feels right and I try to be quite instinctive about it within like well this is normal business practice but so like I've just taken on a couple of part-time staff and I also work with freelancers and I offer them flexibility and all of them have been like, well, when do you want me to work? And I'm like, no, 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 no. You work around your life. You don't live around your work. And if, if you tell me that you can only work at seven o'clock Friday evening for a couple of hours, that's fine. And if you're comfortable doing that, it's OK. So, yeah, I think it's about being really gentle with yourself as a creative, because unless you've done it, I mean, there are creative business courses mm-hmm. out there. But if you were coming at this, if you, you have a skill set, say you're a graphic designer, and you've been to university and that's what you've done and you've come out the other side and think right I want to freelance I don't want to go and work for a business somewhere you can definitely take skills that you've learned already from being creative I mean organizing a project if you're if you're doing graphic design you already know how to take a brief through to a final concept mm-hmm. that's not quite the same as being a client and taking them right through to the end but there's parallels yeah. like you, you will always know more than you think I think you're right I think no matter what small piece of experience you maybe feel like you have you can always apply it somewhere to a new challenge and there's always something that you can apply to help you to do it differently or to grow into something else and essentially that's what a creative brain does isn't it it takes a problem and figures out right I have this bit but not that bit how do I make it work or you know problem solve creatively or 
you know, like you said, I love the example of the freedom that you're giving your team, you know, being able to approach it and say, actually, I know that creatives like me don't work their best at a set time every single day. They need to work when they feel that they have not got laundry to do or a screaming kid who needs a bath or, you know, all of these things that actually creativity flows when they're given the freedom to do it when it fits with them. And like, that's a hugely creative way to go around business. I'm excited after post-pandemic to see how many other business adopt that truly flexible working environment. I think it will be really interesting to see. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it too. I think there's quite a big divide. I know the banks today have been saying that they don't want to do it long term. Mm. But I also know people that work in the banking industry that have said they have absolutely thrived at home. So I think people just need to be willing to have the conversation, especially as now our generation are going to be the directors of the future. So they need to listen to us because we'll be changing it at some point anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. They do. I think people who are my personal opinion, businesses that don't allow long term flexibility are the ones that are ultimately going to lose out. They're going to lose talent because people want that and people are willing to leave roles and businesses to find that because they've had a taste of what, what it feels like. And not everyone, it's not suited to everyone, but I think it'll be really interesting to see how it unfolds. So as a writer, you're constantly having to come up with new concepts, new approaches to things or take on new projects. What inspires you? Where do you go and look for inspiration when you're starting a new project? I think inspiration is such a hard one, isn't it? And we look at inspiration as it's a really positive thing, but I think you have to be open to everything and every experience and everything you consume. And kind of just let it sit in your head because at some point you might need what you got from that. For me personally, I think it's anything that is story based. And I take a lot of inspiration from film and TV. And I think if you also approach things like that with a critical brain, so like the Avengers movies, especially Endgame, Mm -hmm. if you look at it like it's an amazing allegory for what's going on in the world right now. And if you can kind of find the common threads of humanity in things you're always going to find a way to tell a story that answers the question you want answered. Mm -hmm. And that's awesome, being able to find those threads. I hadn't really thought of the end game in in that way, but being able to find those threads of humanity to answer the questions that people are asking. Would you say that in writing, creative writing, that the question is where to start? Or do you think people often start with the answer? I think the question is where people always start, whether they realise it or not. Um, especially with creative writing. I do it all the time. I'll I'll get an idea and I'll start writing out a plot line and I'll suddenly realise, oh, this is me trying to Mm rationalise this. Um, I think especially with like films and novels, it can be a small question about humanity, but we're trying to make sense of the world. That's why humans have always told stories. Yeah, even like cavemen sitting around a fire or a campfire telling stories. Yeah, that's really interesting. And We spoke a little bit before about you taking online courses and you named um, Udemy and other places that are good to learn something new. And we are in a world where there's a mass of free information or, you know, affordable courses online where you could pretty much pick up a new skill every single day. And you said that you've done the same. You've, You've been a copywriter, you've been a creative writer, you've done graphic design, marketing and stuff. Is there ever too many skills? Is it possible to hold these all in in synergy, do you think? You can definitely hold them all in synergy. I would say be really wary of taking on too much. You kind of have to find how they all link together to create the whole that you want. So for me, part of it was I wanted to be able to be the head of an agency and I I knew 
what all my staff would be doing eventually and and not ever have them feel like they were alone and that my feedback came from a place of knowledge and experience not just I don't like that color more I think we should tweak that that hex code because x y and z but there are so many people out there as well now saying that they're coaches and they're experts and I think you do have to be a bit wary some of them are charging an extortionate amount and I know I've paid for some and I've sat there and I've thought I've literally read all of this from different blog posts that have been pinned on Pinterest. And yes, you've packaged it nicely, but I don't know why I've given you my money. And I think we don't talk about that enough either. So be really selective and really know why you want to do a course in the first place. Yeah, that's really interesting. There are a host of places online to get information, but, you know, verifying that you're getting good information and good, valuable information is can be quite a challenge with you know everyone's a guru these days and everyone has has all the answers but actually you know sometimes pretty branding in front of something can almost sway you to part with your cash when actually you could with a quick google search or a search on pinterest find exactly the same thing that's so interesting Katie it's been really lovely chatting to you and we've you know we've spoken about a whole range of different things and particularly your journey from being a freelance writer to to running the agency if someone was like right I want to start an agency I'm, I'm a creative Katie's inspired me what would you give them you know what's the first step what's the bit of advice you'd give start reading some books basic business books you do have to have some inkling of the initial steps I mean, and everybody's done it. I mean, I think as well, creatives often will get lots of ideas. I know I do. I'm like, oh, that would be a great business idea. And before you know it, you've registered all the social and you've brought a domain and you've started playing around in WordPress and you're like, I don't have time for this or I've gone gung-ho into this and I don't actually know how to get it started. I mean, it's a business plan, but it doesn't have to be a business plan, does it? If you can properly write down or do a great big mind map, I love a mind map, Mm. and really dissect everything out and then think, right, so I know A, B and C, but I don't know one, two and three yet. Where can I go and get that information? And just just don't rush it. Like brands spend years doing, you know, market research before they launch sometimes. And I'm not saying you should take years, but I mean, I did it with the magazine. I got the idea and everything just went. And all of a sudden at the start of the pandemic, I needed to find a new printer because the printer I was going to use weren't printing. And I had all these pre-orders but if I'd actually taken a little bit slower, it probably we'd have launched the first issue six months later. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. No, don't rush it, but don't feel like you have to take years either. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, um, it's interesting you talk about kind of donut domain names. I think I own about seven to ten different domain names. You know, I totally resonate with that. Oh, I've got this idea. Oh, the domain, the dot com is available. I'm gonna get it. <laughs> Yeah, and then I always kind of tell myself, oh, I can always sell it on if, you know, one day if I don't use it. Amazing. And if people wanted to connect with you and find out more about you or your agency or the magazine, and where can they kind of find your link? So the website address is fablecreative.com. That's Fable without an E. And then on Instagram and Twitter, it's just Fable Creative. And the magazine is called Fen and Field. You can find that at fenandfield.co or at fenandfieldmag on all our socials. Amazing. Out of interest, the fable without an E, is there something that's poignant as fable without an E? <laughs> no, I loved the word fable. And before when I freelanced, it was under fourth and fable. And because at the time my creative writing, my pen name was Kate Forth. So that's how I was doing it. And then, I don't know, I just thought it was kind of modern and a bit quirky. So it's not really. <laughs> but I mean, the whole fable thing as well is because of the morality tales, because that makes sense for the niche that we work in. 
but I just thought, uh, let's drop the vowel at the end. Yeah, no. And as a writer, to feel like you can drop a vowel at the end of a, a word, it's probably it's quite a risk, isn't it? Yeah. I'm quite quite a big fan of breaking grammar rules, though. Oh, I love Spike that. has its place, but, you know, creativity can sometimes win out on that one. Oh, I love that. Oh, Katie, it's been really fun chatting to you. And, you know, there's so many nuggets in there that I think people can really, you know, run with if they, you know, in, on a similar journey to you or, you know, whatever creative field that they might be in. I really enjoyed today's conversation. So thank you so much for your time. Oh, no, I've loved it too. Thank you so much for having me. Wonderful. And if you want to catch up with Katie, I will leave all of her links that she's mentioned in the show notes so you can head over and follow and connect with her. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Getting Started podcast. If you'd like to hear more conversations like this, be sure to subscribe. And if you really enjoyed it, leave us a five-star review because that really helps us too. To find out more about other podcasts, go to www.clairedurrant.me forward slash podcast. And if you'd like to find out more about me, Claire Durrant, you can find me on Instagram at Media. Or why not connect me on LinkedIn? You can find me by searching Claire Durrant.